0: Last year and a half has taught us anything, it's that humans want and need to connect. We're not for profit professionals supporting adults to live, work, and grow in a rapidly changing world. We need each other to build full plans and pathways for our clients so that they can achieve life changing goals. Whoever and wherever you are, if you support adults in learning and life, the Getting Connected podcast may be for you. Grab a coffee. Give us just a few minutes of your workday and let's connect. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Getting Connected podcast. I'm Ashley Hoth Murray, and I am joined by my fantabulous co host, Gay Douglas. How's it going, Gay?
1: Well, today is looking pretty good, Ashley. How about you?
0: Yeah, I've, I've had a big, big cup of coffee, so that's always, <laughs> that's always we're a good, good. good way to start the day. Yeah. Uh, today we're talking about a really cool topic. I am super excited. Uh, if you were to ask me what makes adult literacy stand out from more traditional modes of education, the word that comes to mind for me is relevancy. Uh, adult literacy considers the learner's goals it thinks about their prior knowledge and their current interests and it matches them with an individual plan it's unique to the learner it's one of a kind it's relevant and it's engaging and this helps ensure a client success one relevant tool hobby part of human nature is play and we rarely equate it with employment or adulting in general but can real-world skills and success be furthered by play?
1: Uh, Summer is the Director of Communications for Literacy Link South Central. So these podcasts are coming to you from Literacy Link Niagara. So they are one of our sister networks located in the London area. Uh, So a little more about Literacy Link before I introduce you specifically to Summer is that uh, Literacy Link South Central Fondly known as LLSC is a regional network serving the communities of Brant, Haldimand, Norfolk, Elgin, Middlesex, and Oxford. So the staff at LLSC support 24 adult literacy programs in their community. Uh, They support them through communication, joint planning, uh, professional development, and really building referral and support networks on behalf of their programs, very similar to Literacy Link, Niagara, and the other 14 regional literacy networks. So, more about summer now, and then I will hand it over to her. First of all, uh, as the director of communications, she really focuses on things like media campaigns, critical messaging about literacy and apprenticeship mental health and employability skills. She also has wide background in administration and uh, communications as well as curriculum development and project management. So it sounds like there's a real common thread here of communications and supporting the field. Uh, A real honor that was bestowed upon uh, summer just in this last summer, I believe, or fall, early fall, Uh, was she became the recipient of the 17th Annual Council of the Federation Literacy Award for Ontario. That's a long title uh, because it means a lot. So, that's the Council of the Federation Literacy Award for Ontario. She was recognized for her innovative work in program development, communications, and design. So, Uh, Welcome, Summer. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing really well. Thank you so much, Gay. I'm really excited to be here today.
1: We're excited to have you. So, I have a question for you to kick things off, Summer. And it is this. What is gamification? And am I pronouncing it right? Not gamification, but gamification. Uh, so this it. is sort of a, this is a three part question, so I'm going to leave it to you to answer all three parts uh, as you like. What is gamification? Who is the curriculum for? So who is the target audience for gamification? And why is it important to create relevant curriculum for adults? So I'll be quiet and hand it to you.
2: Wonderful. Those are great questions, Gay. And I have, I have a lot I can share about that. So, starting at the beginning with what is gamification anyway, and you bet you said it right, it's perfect. Um, the simplest definition of gamification is that it's the act of applying game design elements and motivations of gaming into a non game setting. So, it's something that's often done in marketing, it can be done in healthcare, and of course, in education. And the purpose of it is to increase people's engagement, to encourage them to participate, and to promote some specific behaviors or acts. It's really deeply, deeply rooted in watching and understanding human behavior and psychology. So it's a game, but it's pretty deep. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I think where that word can cause confusion is that it isn't about turning something into a game necessarily. It's more about figuring out what makes people respond the way they do in a gaming environment and then using that psychology to encourage them to respond the same way in other places.
1: Could I ask a quick question before you go any further, just to clarify? Now, when you talk about gaming, uh, can it be as simple as a board game or are we talking about digital gaming only?
2: It's all across the board. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) See what I did there? Yeah. Yeah. Board games, card games, um, online games, you know, it can be everything from Candy Crush through Facebook to, um, you know, a a month's long campaign that you're playing online with people all over the world on a remote server to sitting across the table from three friends and playing Euchre, which I love. Okay,
1: (laughs) thank you. Uh, continue. Sorry, I interrupted. Yeah,
2: no, not at all. Thanks for asking. Um, So, you know, many games, like all of the things that we just described, although you do see it a little more obviously in some online games and some traditional style board games, they have like a built-in reward system. You know, there is the reward of having fun, of course, while you play, um, or maybe the endorphins that you can feel if you're winning a game, but If you take a look at the actual structure of so many games, there are like challenges that you need to complete and completing those challenges could win you coins or earn you a special tool or an ability, um, maybe increase your level or your status in the game. And so think about it, if I respond really well to that kind of reward system in a game, I might be motivated by it outside a game too. And that's really where the idea of gamification comes from. Interesting. Uh, to give an, yeah. Uh, to give an example, you know, I think about, I'm a reader, <laughs> and I have a Kobo e-reader, and I notice how deeply gamification is embedded into that Kobo e-reader. So mm-hmm. I don't know who in your listening audience might also have one, but keep your eye out for this. They give out something called Reading Life Awards uh, for very specific behaviors. So I figured that out the very first time I finished an ebook. book And I suddenly got a little pop-up that said, I won the not an open book award. (laughs) And they provided me with a little list of all of the other awards that I could earn with a little tracker that would show how close that I am to achieving each of them. So now I know that if I stay up after midnight reading, I get the Knight Rider award. And if I look up the definition of 10 or more words, I earn an award that's called Word Up. <laughs> so there's lots of really fun embedded rewards right within my Kobo. And on top of that, you can connect your Kobo to all your social media accounts. So your friends or followers can see how many awards you have. And in theory, at least, they would think, oh, you're very literate. You do a lot of reading. Right. And That's gamified right there.
1: That's really helpful. So it's not just the act of playing, it's also the act of reward, reward setting and a reward system that the learner can, right, that the learner can achieve.
2: Mm -hmm. That's definitely a piece of it, but it's not the only thing. So, you know, I think the key is really understanding what motivates people to do things you know and when we put it within the context of a game you know some people are very driven by competition right um others not so much (laughs) they would rather play a, a collaborative game they're driven by the social capital aspect um there are people for whom games with a really rote structure and only one way to do things are incredibly frustrating They want an adventure game that lets them try things in different ways and reset the level and go back and try again and push themselves to the edge of the boundary, just to see what's over there, you know, even if it's not necessarily part of the game.
1: Right. I I get that.
2: So rewards are a piece, but it's, it's like one piece of a much more complex picture of what motivates someone to play. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a really interesting, uh, another good example, there's, a wonderful researcher who I would definitely recommend people spend a little time looking at if you want to dig deeper into this concept is a gentleman named UK Chow. And he has developed what he calls the eight core drives of gaming. And they're fascinating. And I see them at play, not only in games, but in so many areas of life. So like, as an example, I I was talking about the type of person who really wants to figure out how to do something themselves they don't want to be told exactly how it must be done they want to kind of adventure (laughs) they want to explore Um, those folks are often driven by empowerment and creativity the opportunity to own and do and try and explore and and add something and when we think about you know how that's used in other areas of life i think one of my favorite stories that was Um, shared about the power of empowerment and creativity as a motivator outside the gaming world was when scientists actually made some really big strides forward in treating AIDS using this theory. And it seems very outside of the box and certainly not connected to games exactly, but I'll tell you how it fits. Um, They worked for years to understand how the enzymes that are used by the AIDS virus uh, to reproduce were structured and had not yet figured it out. And they posed it to the general public on a challenge in a game called Foldit. And it took three weeks for the enzyme structure to be revealed. (laughs) And at that point, the work on what drugs could neutralize it began. So it's proof that gaming, gamification and psychology mixed together can make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. Now, gamification curriculum, is it aimed at anyone in particular? Is it for all ages? a great question. I personally think it's fair to say that gamification as a technique can be used as a motivational tool for anyone, really, once you figure out what drives them. You know, there there are dozens and dozens of things that can provoke people to try something, fail, learn, (laughs) and try again. (laughs) And that is probably one of the most valuable skills to have as an adult learner, right? regardless of your age, being able to fail and not be defeated, being able to fail and say, okay, well, that didn't work. <laughs> I guess I'll try something else. <laughs> um, now, I will say that the inspiration for LLSC to begin developing gamified curriculum was thinking about how to successfully engage younger adults in literacy programming. That's been a focus for years, and it's led us to develop curriculum using things like basketballs <laughs> and flying drones and 3d printers <laughs> because ultimately if a 20 year old is not motivated to attend school or pursue a job or take training program but they are motivated to spend 3 or 4 hours a day practicing shots on the basketball court or taking shots at zombies online we need to think about that <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> make it relevant Exactly. So, you know, it's not just for youth-based curriculum. I would say I am far from being considered youth at this point, (laughs) but I know very well that I can be motivated to accomplish tasks as a result of my own gaming psychology.
1: Right. Interesting. Yeah.
2: So some of the curriculum that we've released recently um, would absolutely be valuable for learners of any age. It's all focused on soft skills. And particularly the ones that we keep hearing from employers that they're desperately looking for. So things like uh, verbal and nonverbal communication skills, work ethic, conflict resolution, adaptability, resiliency, all of these really, really critical skills. So the curriculum that um, I'm mentioning uses not only a lot of the theories of gamification that I mentioned, but also some actual games at the end of each lesson to reinforce the topic. So it's a mashup. (laughs) It's a really neat motivator and and really cool to debrief how the skills that you can learn and demonstrate in a
0: gaming environment can be transferred to other environments too.
1: Interesting. Uh,
0: Summer, when you talk about the curriculum, And you said that there's real games involved Mm -hmm. like can you give us some examples like what kind of games are we talking about
2: absolutely um so one of them is in our teamwork module and it's called overcooked this is a video game and it is a video game that allows you to become a character very cute little character who's a chef in a kitchen and you work as a team to try and fill orders And it is chaotic (laughs) and ridiculous and a lot of fun and completely impossible to win if you can't talk about responsibility and who's going to do what. Hmm. The the gameplay surface that you're on, this virtual world that you're in, is constantly changing. So you need to be adaptable and respond to change fast. So as an example, your kitchen in a particular level might be on a pirate ship that's rocking back and forth and things are sliding around and you have to chase them around the kitchen and the next level you might find yourself on the flatbed of two moving trucks where you can only go from one side of the kitchen to the other when the trucks happen to be driving side by side. <laughs> so there are lots of really entertaining um, things that you have to overcome in order to, to be successful while you're trying to accomplish this group task. We've played it with our staff. it's hysterical. <laughs> And chaotic, for sure. And the debrief, again, is really where all of the learning is at, because you can step back and say, okay, we failed miserably. (laughs) Why did we do that? What, what, What could we have done better? Now let's play again and try that technique. So that's one example. I I have 10 different soft skills modules in this particular curriculum. So every one of them has a different style of game to go with and reinforce. Uh, We have an observation skills module, for example, which uses a game called Ghost Blitz. And this is a tabletop game which has five little figures like actual physical figures, wooden figures, that you put out on the table and a deck of cards that has images of one, two, or more of these figures. And you need to flip the card over and grab the appropriate object based on what you observe is happening in the card. So sometimes you might be looking for the only missing item you might be looking for the only real item on the card and it keeps changing back and forth. So you never really know what you're looking for and you have to observe very carefully in order to figure out and work through the process of elimination what it is you're supposed to be grabbing from the center of the table. It's incredibly competitive. <laughs> and I I fully recommend people take off rings and cut their nails <laughs> before trying this game in a group. It would be dangerous. <laughs> yes.
1: Know, just a, another quick uh, question as you're describing this, have you, developed these games or is this also some you've developed and some you've resourced that exist in the real world?
2: All of them we resourced that exist in the real world. So they are all fully purchasable at your local gaming store, and uh, or available online if your store is not available right now. So it was a lot of research into, again, starting first with the psychology, and Mm -hmm. then looking at what games utilize the psychology and develop the skills that we're so interested in helping people, you know, enhance in their lives. So we did a lot of work um, with an advisory group, as well as some young game designers who, you know, had studied game design in university. (laughs) And so they were able to talk about, from their perspective, what it was that they learned about the psychology embedded in games during the development phase. And they could make some recommendations when I was saying, "Okay, I'm really looking for something that would be great for decision making problem solving, dealing with change, you know, whatever, and they could take that and take a look for what games existed in the market already. So because all games, if they're successful, there is some layer of psychology that's happening within them to motivate people to keep buying and keep playing. Right. Right, If we weren't driven to keep playing, we would never bother after we weren't buy, we wouldn't put them in our, you know, in our bookcase at home, so we can pull them out and have a fun family games night if they were not interesting to continue to play if they weren't motivating.
1: That makes sense.
0: And are all the games uh, that you utilized in the curriculum, are they all small group or, cause there's an individual component as well to a lot of the games that we access digitally. I'm thinking like you said, Candy Crush, and mm-hmm. I could spend hours on Candy Crush <laughs> by myself after the kids are in bed. So d- is the curriculum just small group or does is there an individual component?
2: There are a couple of individual games. Um, we purposefully tried to put games in that would allow people to interact with one another because so much of what soft skill development is, is those interpersonal skills, right? So in in this particular case, we focused a lot on either collaborative or competitive, but group games. That said, there is one in particular, which um, is, can only be played by yourself. And we have it associated with our failure and resilience module, because it's incredibly difficult. It's intended to, you, you, you simply will fail. <laughs> eventually, eventually, with a lot of dedication, people can beat it, but it is incredibly difficult. It's called Getting Over It by okay. Bennett Fodi. And it is, again, funny. I I do tend to like games that make me laugh. This one most certainly does. You are a mountain climber stuck in a copper pot trying to get up a mountain. (laughs) It's it's absurd. It's completely absurd and very, very, very difficult. So a great opportunity to play, have other people observe. And, you know, really, even in the group games, there's a huge role for observers there's so much that you can learn about other people by watching them play a game. So within the structure of this curriculum, we assume there may be more people than can play any given game at a time. And they have an important job too. And that's to observe and make notes about what's going on in the game. And did they see something super clearly because they were a little bit removed from it that, oh, if only this person had made such and such a move, they could have done so much better. Right. You know, really, really interesting. They can have and then comment as well on how the players interacted with each other, you know, when was communication between teammates really, really good. So there's this really nice feedback loop that happens there and they're learning how to be successful at the game through that observation as well. So there's, it, it's really, it's such a fascinating topic. I could go oh, on for a while.
0: Cool. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I could listen forever. Um, but that's going to take us into our next question. So you can continue to talk about gamification, uh, as an example, or you can pull from wh- wherever suits you. But my next question is, how does adult literacy differ from other forms of education?
2: Well, I think that the individualized approach that LBS programs can offer is just, it's such a gift to adult learners. It's really about what's at the center of the experience So like in a lot of traditional education, you have the required knowledge at the center and you deliver that knowledge out to a large group of students in formats that are most likely to resonate with the audience. But we flip that, right, in LBS. So the learner is at the center. Practitioners and tutors start by figuring out what the person needs, what their motivation for upgrading their skills is, how they learn, Uh, and then help them acquire and practice those specific skills in a context that's relevant for them. So for adults that have had a negative experience in traditional school growing up, it is the flexibility and focus on them and their specific needs that I think can make all the difference to their success.
0: What you just said, I saw it visually as you said it. And I think we need to flip that into an infographic. What is the difference? I loved that, yeah. That's very. That's awesome. That was great visually. So, if you had a crystal ball and you could look five years into the future, uh, given that we are on the uh, hopefully in the the reopening, the post pandemic journey uh, after COVID, what impacts would you uh, would you forecast for literacy and basic skills and the entire system, adult service system?
2: Well, I mean, first, I think COVID forced all of our hands when it came to digital literacy and access to technology. So many people, both LBS practitioners and learners, had to figure out how to use computers and the internet quickly and in a crisis. Um, You know, people who may have just chalked themselves up to being not computer people, and were okay Mm -hmm. with that, had to shift gears and force themselves to learn under really difficult circumstances. They wanted to understand what was happening with the pandemic, to order groceries, to pay their bills, to access services, and connect with family. I mean, everyone just took this huge step forward in their digital literacy. And I know a lot of service providers that advocated hard for equitable access to technology and internet access at all levels within LBS, employment services, Ontario Works, And when we know that, unfortunately, some people have been left behind in that technological step forward, especially in rural areas, it has equipped many more people with the skills that they need to navigate an online world. And that is definitely going to have a huge impact on LBS in the future. You know, we've learned a lot about how to deliver services virtually. And that, I think, is really going to open the door to future learners who may have barriers to attending in-person classes they wouldn't have been able to attend before. Yeah. So a, dis-
1: a distinctly different or new uh, target audience mm-hmm. who may not have been attracted as much before. Perhaps also uh, a new uh, audience of uh, practitioners who I-, I can imagine many of our programs will begin to recruit on, on strong digital skills for staff in the future.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's-, it's critical now. You know, we can't go back.
2: No. You know, what's interesting, though, is that there's this really strange yin-yang situation of when I think about the two things that have really, like we've learned, we've learned digital literacy, we've learned how to execute online things we never thought we could, but it also really taught us the importance of actual human connection,
1: (laughs) right? Which is where this entire podcast (laughs) series has come from, exactly,
0: Exactly. We spend so. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you you go ahead. You finish your thought, and then I'll jump in.
2: We spent so much time in isolation, right, during this pandemic, and the negative impact of that, that's going to be felt for years to come. From mental health, um, the impact of isolation to the skills that frankly, I think some of us have lost by not having to actually interact with other people for so long, unless there was a screen between us. We've Mm -hmm. really been hurt by this pandemic. And as human beings, I think we need access to -to face-to-face contact and Mm -hmm. support and the ability to connect with other people in person. And Mm -hmm. I think there's just such a culture of care and respect back to an LBS programs. I really think that they're going to be a place of healing and growth in the years ahead.
0: But it's interesting because I, uh, when I hear the term gamification, my initial reaction to it is very digital. Well, you know, like we, that's where you find it. I'm thinking video games and, and, you know, being on your phone and your tablet. And then when you start talking about board games, like I think COVID personally, as a family, we really ended up gravitating to those, you know, pull it out of the box, you know, get out your game markers, roll that dice, because Mm -hmm. we were so inundated with technology in our work with my kids school, you know, connecting with friends online, uh, that we wanted to kind of hibernate almost. And so family games have become more important, I would say, than they were pre COVID. And I I would assume that that would continue in literacy that, as you said, Mm -hmm. people will be gravitating to that in-person access. And that's just something that I never thought of before um, when I heard the term gamification. So
2: it's almost like a a screen-based intervention, isn't it? You know, if you think about prior to COVID, the number of messages that we got and shared about limiting screen time, (laughs) <laughs> about yeah. how unhealthy it was to spend so much exactly. time in front of a screen and then we've spent the last 18 months in front of a screen yeah. we need the opportunity to sit down across from one another we need the chance to interact and play and relax and remind ourselves what human interaction is like again and I think games are a fabulous platform for that
0: yeah very cool. well put
1: well put Um, I have two brief questions that I'm going to sort of set a bit of context for. Um, Everyone uh, with whom we are meeting and uh, sharing these podcasts with, we ask the same uh, two questions uh, toward the end of our conversation. And they are vague and they are meant to be vague because we want the person we're asking uh, to, um, to interpret them any way that Feels comfortable to them. So the, the, the two questions are Summer, what's the system doing well? And after you tell us that, uh, what do you think the system could do better?
2: Okay, great. Well, I certainly, in our role as a network, we have the opportunity to work both directly with programs as well as with lots of different community partners and stakeholders. And I know something I'm definitely seeing more of lately is a really deep awareness of trends that are happening in our local communities and how we can respond to them in ways that help clients and learners move forward. So, I mean, when the pandemic began and this desperate need for digital literacy I mentioned was like thrust into the spotlight, I saw adult literacy programs just respond so quickly. Even those who were just figuring out what Zoom was (laughs) were using it, teaching themselves and teaching their learners all at the same time. Um, There's been a real strengthening, I think, in the connection between the literacy community and organizations like workforce planning boards. And, you know, the information and opportunities gained from those relationships is just so valuable. I mean, for both sides of of the partnerships there. We see uh, our programs for sure gaining a deeper understanding of labor market information, Um, and they're able to develop and deliver really relevant upgrading that helps position LBS learners for upcoming and emerging jobs, or much like the curriculum that I've described, really responds directly to information employers have said. You know, They've said that they really need people that have stronger soft skills at this point. They would rather have those than technical skills. They would be happy to train someone on how to use the machine. <laughs> Just please let me find people that have those strong skills instead. So being able to respond to that, I think is a really big strength um, in, within the community. And in terms of what we could be doing better, I think, you know, we really need to support each other in building the resiliency that we need to handle change, especially under uncertain circumstances, which, you know, aside from the obvious challenges of COVID, there is just so much going on in our broader system right now. We've got the transformation of social assistance and employment services and the SSMs are coming in and the modernization of the apprenticeship system and Skilled Trades Ontario is replacing the Ontario College of Trades. And there's a lot of questions about how all of these changes will impact LBS and how we interact with our community partners. It can be really kind of tough to live in that state of uncertainty. So, it seems like a really good time to mention that resilience is one of the skills that we talked about building through play. (laughs) Absolutely. We could, we've
1: we've seen that uh, over the last almost two years. Thanks so much, Summer. Uh, Ashley?
0: Yeah, Summer, that was great. I, as I said, I think this topic is really cool. Uh, We will include in our show notes the information to uh, to find the curriculum on uh, Literacy Links Central's website, uh, any other links that you may have mentioned, games, if you want to send them through, I'll include them in our show notes. And I will probably be Googling getting over it. And I will be a mountain climber in a copper pot <laughs> a little bit later today. So I really... Why delay? I'm really, I'm really looking forward to seeing if I can uh, beat this, this difficult Ooh. game, but... Uh, it's been awesome talking to you and we really uh, we really appreciate you joining us today. Listeners, we are looking for your help to create content for a fun show airing in the new year. We want to know what skills are obsolete and just aren't necessary anymore for employment, learning, and life. These are skills that maybe were essential. Uh, to learn in the past, things like faxing or taking a phone message. We want to hear your stories, your examples, your suggestions. So click the link in the show notes and share your feedback and everyone who contributes and lives in Ontario will be entered to win a $50 gift card through Random Draw. And thanks for listening, listener. Uh, We look forward to getting connected with you next time.